Hello everyone and welcome to the history of modern Greece. I am your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, I'm George. We are big fans of history and history podcasts. In this podcast, we explore the history of the modern nation, Greece. How and when Greece became a country, and why the borders are the way they are today and why the capital city is Athens. It's very easy to assume Greece was always there. Everyone has heard of ancient Greece. Most people have seen movies such as Troy, 300 Spartans, Alexander the Great, and even Disney's Hercules. We've all heard of Zeus, and we've seen pictures of the Parthenon on top of the Acropolis. So there's good reason why people answer the question, how long has Greece been a country? And they often answer, 2,000 years. In fact, that was the hook we used for this podcast when we told friends and family and strangers in the elevator that we were starting our own podcast. We asked many people that exact same question, and almost everyone answered it the same way. Modern Greece is thousands of years old. But this is not true. Greece is actually quite young in general terms. In fact, the country is less than 200 years old. The United States of America is older than Greece. And if you wanted to know what the official language of Greece was 300 years ago, it would be Turkish. But how could that be? Well, that's a good question. It's because Greece was part of the Ottoman Empire. If you're a big history fan like us, you would already know who the Ottomans were and who they became today. Maybe you already know everything about the Ottomans, who they are and where they came from. Perhaps you have heard of them before, but really know nothing about them. Or maybe you fall into that category of people who have heard of Ottomans before and even have one in your living room, but are confused because you thought Ottomans were a type of furniture. You know, I was one of those people who heard about them. I knew they were Turkish, and I knew they were an old empire. The old men of Europe, as my high school teacher once said, and they were completely wiped out during the World War I. But the Ottoman Empire was not always known as the old man of Europe. It used to be the most feared, invincible, unstoppable empire that was swallowing countries and kingdoms and empires from the east. The very mention of the name Ottoman would instill fear into the hearts of men. If you Google search Ottoman Empire at its height, you will see an empire that rivals that of the Roman Empire. Fun Fact There are rumors that J.R.R. Tolkien, a man who lived in the trenches of World War I, was inspired by the war and by history when writing The Lord of the Rings. And the armies of the orcs were inspired by the rising Ottoman Empire. And the Battle of Minas Tirith was based off the Battle of Vienna. If you want to put the history of Greece from past to present in a single sentence, It's very easy. The Greek people 
descend from a tribe of hunter-gatherers on the Eurasian steppe that migrated to the area of the Aegean Sea where they formed multiple city-states that always fought amongst themselves until they were united by a common enemy, the Persian Empire, which saw the rise of an Athenian Empire, but a war between Greek city-states saw the collapse of the Athenians and the rise of northern Greeks who under the command of Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire only to fight amongst themselves after the death of Alexander. The chaos that came afterwards allowed the Roman Empire to conquer all of Greece, then converted to Christianity with the rest of the Romans, only to inherit the eastern half of the empire after the fall of Rome, and dominated the eastern Mediterranean for a thousand years before being conquered by Turks in 1453, which led to a period of Greeks under Ottoman control, until a war of independence freed the Greeks from Turkish rule in 1832, and Greece finally became a country. Wow, that's not a sentence. That's more like a paragraph. Well, it's a run-on sentence. I guess that covers everything up to the point of modern Greece. Is that the end of our podcast? Hmm... Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on our podcast, The History of Modernity. Stay safe and stay awesome. Stop, 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 stop. Come on, there's more to it than that. Jeez, I've got about 20,000 pages of notes. i got all these books. Come on, it's not over. Well, that is what happened. But we're going to go into more detail. I think the purpose of this podcast will be to explain who the ancient Greeks were and what happened to them. And once we get through the recap, we cover the Macedonian Empire. Or rather, the Empire of Alexander the Great. And if you Google the Empire of Alexander the Great, you'll see a map that looks something similar to the map of the Ottoman Empire. It was a massive empire that was more focused on the Middle East. Did you know where the modern region of the Punjab lies, there used to be a Greek kingdom? Now, we'll probably spend five episodes or less covering the events of the Macedonian Empire and the spin-off kingdoms they created. And finally, we get to the moment in history where the Roman Empire conquers the Greek people. And this is very fascinating because it took hundreds of years to capture all of the Greek provinces, which by this time included the Ptolemaic Kingdom of Egypt. Now, Egypt by this time had been conquered by so many people Cleopatra was a descendant of one of Alexander the Great's generals, and her family is said to have been intermarried with Persian royalty. Dad, did you know that Cleopatra was Greek? I thought everyone knew that. Most people, but not all. I didn't know she was part Persian. That's news to me. Yeah, that was new to me too. However, I, I remember when we were studying our notes that uh, Alexander encouraged all his men to intermarry with Persian women. He wanted them all to turn into one homogenous race. So, in another way, I'm starting to see, yeah, she, she could very well have been part Persian. Once the Roman Empire grew to its maximum, the world stage was reset. People living in London had the same leader as people living in Kuwait and Morocco. But the Roman Empire was Latin. The most interesting part of the Roman Empire 
is that the eastern half of the empire, including Sicily, parts of Spain, and even southern Italy, all spoke Greek. So the major language in the Roman Empire was Greek, even though the official language was Latin. There is an old saying, a famous saying, the Romans conquered the Greek, but the Greeks really conquered the Romans. That's what happened. I mean, if you were a Greek living in the days of the Roman conquest, you wouldn't believe so. You would have seen Roman soldiers storm into your city and massacre everyone in sight, and then tear down your stone buildings and burn the wooden ones to the ground. But culturally, the aristocrats started to dress like the Greeks and act like the Greeks, and they studied Greek philosophy. Even the famous Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius fashioned himself as a Stoic, which was a Greek philosophy. There is an interesting moment in time, around the middle of the first century AD, when a Roman citizen who spoke Greek, but was also a Jew, started writing a bunch of letters to Jewish temples spreading the word about a man who arose from the dead and was going to bring about the end of the world and establish a kingdom of God on earth. This man was called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, or even better known as Paul the Apostle. He wrote his letters in Greek and sent them to Greek cities. And it is from this man's letters that we get the basis of the Christian religion. The funny thing about Christianity is it started as a Jewish religion, but quickly spread throughout the Greek world within the Roman Empire. Even the name Jesus is a Greek name. In Hebrew, Jesus would have sounded more like Yeshua. Christ is also derived from a Greek word, which means Messiah. If the Greek word is Christ and the Hebrew word is Messiah, what does it mean in English? Well, what it meant to first century Palestinians was somebody specially chosen by God to fulfill his mission on earth. And most of the times, not all, but most of the times it meant the king of Israel. Then the Roman Empire started to fracture. The empire grew too big and became too corrupt, and eventually it fractured into four pieces, ruled by four emperors and made up of many religions. All the while, the Persian Empire in the east, now called the Sassanid Empire, was growing stronger and more powerful. The Persians were trying to rebuild the old Achaemenid Empire, or the old Persian Empire, and a lot of their land was controlled by the new Roman Empire, their old enemy. The rivalry between the Romans and the Sassanids was just growing. But a famous Roman emperor in the West, a man named Constantine, was struggling to reunify the empire. And he looked across his border at the Persians and saw something they did that he wanted to emulate. The Persians had one god, for one king, for one empire. And here the Romans were fighting with four emperors and four empires and a dozen gods. That's it. No more. From now on, Rome has one god, one emperor, and one empire. God damn it! 
Constantine adopted Christianity as his religion of choice. There were a few to choose from, but his mother was already Christian, so why not choose it for himself? He sent his mother to Jerusalem to find any holy relics they could, and he even packed up the entire capital city of Rome and moved everything to a Greek city called Byzantium, where he established a new capital city for the Roman Empire, Constantinople. This act really brought Greek culture to the forefront of the Roman Empire. For only 150 years later, the western half of the Roman Empire collapsed, leaving the Eastern Empire, the Greek-speaking half, intact. So now the Roman Empire speaks Greek, the religion is Greek Orthodox, and all of the ancient Greek cities are within the empire. For all intents and purposes, the Roman Empire is Greek. Only a hundred or so years after the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Empire threw Latin away and made Greek the official language. And not too long later, the emperors themselves forgot how to speak Latin. There was a period where the Eastern Roman Empire started to rebuild and reconquer, and it looked like the Roman Empire was about to reunify. But disaster struck in the form of a plague. Then a major war broke out between the Sassanids and the Romans, which nearly destroyed both empires. It was a dark time. But the wildest part of this war is the fact that it was fought between a major Persian empire and a major Greek empire. It was like the ancient ancestral enemies came together for a final showdown. In the end, they both lost, because an Arab army came riding out of the desert and conquered everything in sight. If you Google search the Umayyad dynasty, you will see a mighty empire that rivals that of the Romans and Alexander the Great. It is quite remarkable. And for a while, it seemed like the Roman Empire was going to collapse completely. But they managed to hold on long enough for a new dynasty to come together and rebuild and strengthen the empire. This period is called the Byzantine Golden Age. It's a revival period for the Greeks. They called themselves Roman, but they were Greek. And from this point forward, the main nemesis of the Greeks would be the Arabs. And for 300 years, the Greeks were the dominant force in Eastern Europe. They were the true remnants of the Roman Empire. They were the emperors. But something started to happen back west. The Germans were growing in strength. And the Pope found himself distant from the Orthodox Church. And when a Greek emperor was crowned without a penis, that is, a woman became emperor, the Pope used this opportunity to crown one of the German kings as Roman emperor in the West. So once again, there are two empires. The Holy Roman Empire in the West, which was German, and the Byzantine Roman Empire in the East, which was Greek. But once again, the empire grew corrupted, and a series of unfortunate events saw the near collapse of the Byzantine Empire. Meanwhile, a race of Vikings in the West converted to Christianity 
and they were ravaging Britain, France, and Italy. And these North men were called Normans. And they locked their eyes on the rich Greek cities across the sea. Now the Normans were invading Greece, and they wanted to conquer it all. So, we have Vikings fighting Romans? Sort of, yeah. While the Greeks fought against the Normans in the west, a new enemy emerged from the east. This was a group of step riders from the plains, called the Seljuk Turks. These horse riders conquered everything in sight, and they came right up to the doorstep of the Roman capital, Constantinople. The Romans defeated the Normans, but they couldn't defeat the Turks. I mean, maybe they could have, if they had just tried. But the Roman emperor asked the Pope for help. He wanted maybe 2,000 Norman knights, but what he got in return was the Crusades. The Crusades are a pivotal moment in Greek history. The Crusades brought the Latins and the Normans to the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire, and they conquered the Seljuk Turks and the Arabs from North Africa. But it also started a holy war between Christianity and Islam, with the Greeks caught in the middle. Eventually the Crusaders turned on the Greeks, and they sacked the capital city of Constantinople. For the first time in a thousand years, the Roman capital fell. All of the riches from the Roman Empire were carried off, and thousands upon thousands of innocent civilians were raped, tortured, and murdered. It was a bloodbath. But it was also a fatal wound in the heart of the now tiny Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire survived somehow, for like another 250 years. Did they still call themselves Roman? They did. And were they still Greek? They were. In fact, the Greeks managed to take back their capital city of Constantinople. There was even a mini-revival period for a century, where things didn't look too bad for the Greeks. But corruption was far too rampant, and the might was gone. There was no navy, almost no army, and the enemies that surrounded Greece were slowly biting off chunks for themselves. The Seljuk Turks that once threatened the very existence of the Greeks were themselves wiped out by Genghis Khan's Mongolian Empire. But after the receding of the Mongols, a new group of Turks arose from the ashes of the Seljuks, and these Turks called themselves the Ottomans. This is the very beginning of the Ottoman Empire. One of the Roman emperors married his daughter to the Sultan of the Ottomans, and her son would be the one to come to the walls of Constantinople and conquer the city once and for all. In 1453, the last of the Roman Empire was destroyed, and it was destroyed by Turks with cannons. How many people know? that the Roman Empire was destroyed by cannons. For the last 1,500 years, the Greeks had been calling themselves Roman, because they were Roman. They never called themselves Greek. 
And if you think about it, before the Roman Empire, the Greeks would have called themselves Athenian or Corinthian or Theban or Spartan. They never called themselves Greek. And from 1453 to 1832, Greece and the Greek people were subjects of the Islamic Ottoman Empire. The patriarch, the head of the Greek Orthodox Church, and the original church of the Roman Empire was a subject of the Islamic Sultan. In a way, this is very similar to the way the Greek people were absorbed into the Roman Empire. But there were some key differences. The Greeks still saw themselves as Christian, even though many converted to Islam and became Ottoman. What started out as a conquest and slavery slowly changed and soon became assimilation. During the time of the Roman Empire, Greeks called themselves Roman. And sure enough, during the time of the Ottoman Empire, Many Greeks converted to Islam. They spoke Turkish and called themselves Turk, and ultimately they became Turks. But many others kept their Greek heritage. Some of the Greeks fled the Ottomans and settled amongst the people of Italy, and they brought with them the old literature of ancient Greece. This sudden appearance of classical manuscripts such as Plato, Aristotle, Homer's Iliad, the Odyssey, Herodotus, and Thucydides sparked a fascination with ancient Greece. Suddenly the people in the West were in love with Greek culture. For the first few hundred years after the fall of Constantinople, the Ottoman Empire seemed like an invincible army that was destined to conquer all of Europe. The Christian empires were being squeezed and pushed further west. Soon the trade routes that made Italy so rich were completely shut off from the Christians. But two major events sealed the fate of the Ottomans and would eventually see the tides turn. The first great defeat came at sea in the year 1571 at the Battle of Lepanto. The second great defeat came on land in the year 1683, at the Battle of Vienna. This point proved to be the highest the Ottoman tide would rise, and over the next few centuries, the empire would decline. In the mid-1700s, the Greek people staged a revolt against the Ottomans, using the help of Russians. And this fault would be later dubbed the Orlov Revolt. And this was a total disaster but it also set the stage for a later revolt. After the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars, the world was ready for nationalism. And the Greek people were ready to be rid of their Turkish overlords. On their own, the Greek people could not win a war against the Turks. The Turks were too rich and too powerful for the Greeks to fight and win. Even with the decline and corruption and inflation rampant in the Ottoman Empire, the Greeks were too weak, they were too spread out, and their leaders were far too corrupt. Luckily for them, the Americans, the French, and the British were fascinated by ancient Greece and the classics 
and they also had a vested interest in seeing the Ottomans collapse. So they gladly assisted the Greeks in their war of independence. The Greek War of Independence will be one of the focal points of our podcast. This 11-year struggle saw the last African invasion of Europe, where a fleet of Egyptians attacked the Peloponnese with the intention of enslaving the Greeks and creating an Egyptian colony in Europe. It also saw two civil wars. Can you believe that? In the middle of the Greek War of Independence, the Greeks started two wars with themselves. As you get further into our podcast, you'll learn how common civil war is among the Greek people, whether that be ancient Greece, Byzantine Greece, Revolutionary Greece, or even modern Greece. This entire podcast brings one question to my mind. If the Greeks did not identify as Greek for the majority of their existence, wouldn't it have been just as likely that they would have fought for independence from the Ottomans and called their new country Byzantium or Romania? At what point did the Greeks stop seeing themselves as Roman and start seeing themselves as Greek? I believe that would have to be around the time of the Enlightenment, and definitely before the Orlov Revolt. When the War of Independence was finally over, the Greek people were their own country, their own nation, with their own identity and their own flag. But they had a German king for some reason. Well, it wasn't for some reason, it was for a very specific reason. It seems the wisdom for the day was a monarchy would be the best, and uh, they didn't want to have anybody from their country because there's too many factions divided, so they decided to bring in a, a competent outsider. That will all be covered under its own season. When the Greek people rid themselves of their German king and continued their ongoing war with the Ottoman Empire, which saw more and more land absorbed into the nation of Greece, until eventually they came head-to-head in the ultimate war of all wars, the war to end all wars, World War I. This war saw the complete collapse of the Ottoman Empire, and for a brief moment the rise of the Greek Empire. Greece managed to regain control of the ancient Roman capital, Constantinople. As the rest of the world stopped fighting World War I in 1918, the Greeks continued to fight for five more years. They nearly took half of Anatolia. But the advance of Greek troops into Anatolia saw the rise of Turkish nationalism and a mighty pushback. The Turks fought the Greeks all the way back to the sea, where the borders of Greece and Turkey have more or less been established. One thing that is very fascinating about World War II is the Italian invasion of Greece. For although it was done with World War II-era weapons, the battle lines were the exact same as the Roman invasion of Greece over 2,000 years before, or the Norman invasions of the Byzantine Empire before the First Crusade. There were many battles fought in Greece during World War II, almost all of them completely ignored by Western sources. Within a year of the end of the Second World War, Greece was plunged into another civil war. Just like everywhere else in the world, communism was on the rise, 
and it brought its bloody hands into the streets of Greece. Over the next couple of decades, the country found itself in civil war, but also in several hot wars with its neighbor, Turkey. I think you know someone who was in Greece when one of these wars broke out. Yeah, the year was 1974, and a former girlfriend of mine and her sister decided to go on holiday in that summer to Greece. Now, they went to Corfu, which was an island on the west side, but the war broke out, and they were all freaking out, and they escaped by ferry boat to Italy. So, yeah. During this time, the Greek people regained control of their own democracy and joined NATO, the European Union, and even the European Monetary Union, or the Euro. In 2004, Greece held the Summer Olympics, which is quite a big deal because the organization was finally returning to its nation of origin. But only four years later, the world market collapsed, and Greece was thrown into austerity. Everyone hears all the time about the economic troubles in Greece, the rise of extremism, and the waves of refugees and migrants fleeing the war-torn regions of the East. A lot of this stuff is going to take years to get to. This later period in Greek history, post-World War II, it could be four years away. And originally we thought we would start the podcast off with the War of Independence, but that felt like we were missing out on too much information. Now this is not a subject we studied in university. This is a subject we are studying right now. In fact, we're not historians at all. We are just really big fans of history. The entire reason we are doing this podcast is because we want to know exactly how the people of ancient Greece became the people of modern Greece. We want to know how everything came together to influence events to bring us to this very point. It's easy to assume that everything was destined to end up this way. Just as easy it is for someone else to assume that Greece has always been here because they've heard of ancient Greece. So this podcast is our journey to discover the history of modern Greece. And we invite you to join us.